Captain Picard, priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. Am I ready, Roman? Readier Room, the only and longest-running Star Trek The Next Generation rewatch podcast. We got behind-the-scenes lore and exciting stories coming at you every week from those who are there to make the magic happen. My name is Mitchell Nels, Chief Consultant Services of Paramount, and with me is my life partner, Brandon Hobbs. Brandon, how are we doing today, this monumentous end of Season 1 day? I know. I, um, I can't believe we've been doing this for four years now, Mitch. Right, right, um, right. It's... God, time really flies, doesn't it? Yeah, time and, time uh, really flies when you're experiencing um, mediocre television at a snail's yeah, pace. Yeah, for sure. And I'd be remiss if I didn't wish you a happy 4th of July. Thank um, you. You know it's my favorite holiday. Right, right. You know, we are l- no longer in America anymore, so um, I think you really grow a, a different kind of appreciation for it, you know, when, when you're away from, from, from the motherland. You do, you do. Um, it just like you know, America was liberated from France or whatever. Um, you become liberated from America, and you start to begin mm-hmm. celebrating that on the Fourth of July. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely, that is true. That is true. I mean, you um, you get to really appreciate that that you know you're not really subject to um, any mass shootings, right? Or um, BLM protests, or um, Although um, for the us, cops kneeling on you. For us, it's more of the Fourth of Goyam lie. So Wait, what? No, no, nothing. Um, I, I genuinely didn't didn't hear that. But anyway, Mitch, um, we have we have an astoundingly uh, divisive episode today. An astoundingly divisive episode. That's a great way to put it. Um, things are astounding when they involve us, and. Uh, if it involves it if it involves anyone other than us, I don't, I don't really care. But <laughs> <laughs> well, you know that is true. Um, that is true. We we do have kind of the definitive opinion on these things, uh, having been there, um, having been the only ones there, having been there, having done that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and I, I must say, somewhat of a uh, a star studded. Um, episode for guest appearances yeah you could say that you could say that i wouldn't but you could you could you really could and i think i would but um anyway don't want to get too far into it just yet because i know you have your question right i mean we always love answering questions only if they're of the week i would not Mm -hmm. entertain a question of the month but no of the week what about a daily question um that's too much work I mean, maybe on Twitter, right, I right. guess. But on Twitter, you know, you can just type anything, and no one's really going to read mm-hmm. it. So, yeah, no, they didn't. No, well, what it is is people just kind of believe you um, without fact checking anything. Right. It's so. it's weird how people how easily people are taken in by things on Twitter. Mm-hmm. It's actually, I mean, it's dangerous, it isn't is. it? I, you know, uh, people will literally believe anything as long as it uh, reinforces their worldview. Right, right. You know, or has to do with Star Trek, of course. Of course. 
um, because nothing in this fan base could ever be insidious at all or, um, you know, no no one could really lie about anything. No, nothing about Trek has ever been disingenuous and nothing Trek adjacent has even approached um, mm-hmm. Dis- mm-hmm. anything disingenuous. So it are, you right. know, Trek fans are really, really good at trusting people. And, right, uh, right. and you know that's that's why we love it that's why we love the fan base that's why we love trek that's why we've worked on trek for so long yeah um but in any case um i i will leave the floor to you well so this is a bit of a throwback question of the week and i'll explain why in a moment um so this week's question comes from carly on snapchat who asks mitch bran excellent show what is your favorite episode from season one which you know, as you can tell, it's quite a topical question, but in, in actuality, this was asked like 20, 23 weeks ago, and ah. uh, I thought it was more prudent to wait until the end of season one before, answer, you know, lest we get into spoilers or anything. Of course, of course. Right, so, but favorite episodes from season one, that's a great question. Um, There's just so many to pick from. I mean, there's, what, 25 episodes, and you can choose any of them? I know it's it's almost an impossible Herculean task, even. It is, it is, it is. Well, I, let's try our best to to slay that Hydra. Um, I'll go first. I think my favorite, because uh, I thought about this a lot, especially in you know, reading this question of the week. I think my favorite episode from season one is the Naked Now. Um, there's something about it that it, that hits unlike any other episode of TNG in season one or otherwise. It's it's a lot more real. I would say um, the way that mm-hmm. the, the characters relationships kind of grow and change before in the midst and after the crisis of the episode um, right. really struck a chord with me. It's like the most human Trek has ever felt or would ever feel since then. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it, it was a true breakthrough for the series in a lot of ways that kind of broke down the walls of, you know, Trek is this kind of sterile sexless thing and um yeah re- yeah really brought it a more humanistic element i thought that was mm. not only deep but provoking provocative right right um so yeah i guess it really was kind of the first time in trek history that you would see these these characters um these main characters get very intimate with each other exactly exactly and you know the the whole uh, wesley crusher uh plot towards the end just genius yeah beautiful honestly really strong episode i'm a bit sad that uh in that season one was never able to top it like it's peaked really early and then it was all kind of downhill Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, what's your favorite season one episode i mean respectable opinion but um for almost all the same reasons i gotta go with justice mitch um justice huh justice yeah i mean um just beautiful people beautiful extras um lots of um lots of sex mm-hmm. um uh an intriguing wesley plot um Would... violation of the prime directive i think intriguing wesley plots are the common thread between the strongest episodes of the next generation mm-hmm. certainly and i mean it's it's really no coincidence that once wesley leaves for um um, for space school, that uh, the show just goes downhill. It does. Uh, he makes a reappearance later on, but um, it's not. It's not the same mm-hmm. as having him there every week. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and I don't want to get too into spoilers, so I, you know, we can we can drop that there. 
um, you know, we'll get there when we get there, right? Uh, I, I know there's uh, plenty of people watching this along um, with, with TNG for the first time. So, um, I mean, I, I think it's kind of common knowledge that Wesley does leave the show um, for quite some time, much, much to our chagrin. Right. He, but, but, um, but he leaves it in a better place than he found it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, certainly, certainly. Well, that's our question of the week. Thank you very much. Let me scroll through here. Carly, appreciate Carly. it. Carly, yes. Hi, Carly. Thank you for your question. Anybody else, if you have a question you want us to ask, uh, of course you should send it to us, but it's getting to the point nowadays where if you're not a patron on our Patreon, it's going to be difficult to get to you. So mm-hmm. um, you might have some good ideas, but really money money talks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, certainly. So make sure you um, you look us up. Uh, what, what, what are we on, on Patreon? What's our name? Um, it's Readier Room The. The Readier Room okay. is taken. So. Right, 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 right. Yeah. So go to patreon.com slash Readier Room The. Join us at least on the third tier, which is, you know, $30 per episode. And mm-hmm. um, we'll, we'll think about answering your questions. And that's uh, just just to be that, that's Lieutenant Commander tier. Yes, exactly, exactly. There's some other perks you get with that. Um, you get the readier room tote bag sent to you. Uh, you get a handwritten postcard from our secretary, and um, on that tier, that's about it. And and consideration for your stupid questions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, now, just just to let everyone know, if you go for um, for Admiral tier, which is uh, that's the two hundred dollar uh, per episode, right? Um, uh, Patreon, um, you get to have a monthly Zoom lunch with with the two of us. Yeah, all admirals are um, invited to the same lunch. Uh, usually, it's Greek Greek food. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I we prefer it if you didn't eat. It just is a lot of crosstalk on the mic, but you're more than welcome to watch us eat our lunch. Certainly, certainly, yes, yes, um, and. We, um, you know, we're entertainers. We've been doing this for a long time. So I, I think you can rest assured that um, your money's going to a good place. Yes, yes. And um, if your money ever stops going to that place, then this room will be readier no more. Mm-hmm. And you can take so, that to the bank. Yep, yep, yep. So the neutral zone. The neutral zone. Well, um, let me let me give you my opinion since you usually give yours first, and uh, it's it's high time I had my say first. All right, <laughs> get in there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I thought, for all of its faults, uh huh, and there were quite a few. I thought this touched on some some fun, even interesting ideas. Um, I thought for. You know the the surrounding issues at the time. This could have been a lot worse than it was, that's for sure. Uh, and I I really thoroughly enjoyed it. It could have been worse than it was. Is kind of like the sh- the, the <laughs> shittiest thing to say. <laughs> I, know, I mean that sincerely, though. I mean that like l- let me put it this way: for everything that was going on, they did a good job. It was the best that they could have made it. Yeah, I'm mocking you. Um, I disagree with that. I thought a lot of this episode was very hokey, to say the least. It was not very interesting, and it, especially as the season finale, it's a very bizarre choice. Sure, sure. Um, 
so it's I was super bored watching this. Although I will say that this episode wins the um the the next generation y the season award for the best funniest joke in uh in the season. And what's that? Um so the three uh people they find are in sick bay and they're talking mm-hmm. about their various histories and um data's giving like the rundown on all of them and he first is starting with the woman and he's like oh you know her occupation is a homemaker she must be some kind of carpenter and then just <laughs> cuts away <laughs> yeah no that uh that was pretty good um it was good. a lot of <laughs> yes mm-hmm. oh, go ahead a lot of data this episode in in wacky situations and uh um you may or may not know this but a lot of that uh, like his interactions with um with with that the Clemens character yeah uh, that was actually written to be Wesley that explains a lot yeah it doesn't it i mean it's 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 interesting to know that because because it it does explain a lot i mean it's uh it's it was weird it was weird to watch it was um, weird and it's especially weird when you're like all right if this is Wesley it's um gonna be a lot more wide-eyed innocence and then when it's exactly. this, this this clemens guy it's more of like the uh, not quite sleazy but almost mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. kind of 180 on that mm-hmm. but you're right data does get around in this episode i mean from the very beginning until basically the very end he's just paired up with so many characters in novel situations um <laughs> which is good for the data fans but I it's have... good for the data fans. It's easy for the writers too. It is easy for the writers. Writing data is like reading an instruction manual. Um, yeah, it's 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 basically throwing a dart at the wall. We could have had more. The uh, at more the be- what? more data at the beginning of the episode. Um, data and Worf, they they like head off to investigate. Oh, yeah, they, they mm-hmm, kick off the mm-hmm. whole events of the plot, and. Mm-hmm. The idea was so the data wharf pairing was brand new. No, we had never done that before. Yeah, yeah, and I honestly, I forgot about this. Right. So, so all of that dwarf stuff was supposed to be a backdoor pilot for a data mm-hmm. wharf series that was gonna splinter off from TNG proper as kind of like uh, hedge your bets situations. Like maybe TNG yeah. will fail, but people like data and wharf, so dwarf will do pretty well and. Maybe they're, they're kind of like caricatures, right? I mean, yeah, exactly. It's it was supposed to be like a very, very, um, almost vaudeville esque tone to it, mm-hmm. like an odd couple mm-hmm. kind of thing where everybody's super exaggerated. Worf's a straight man. Data's the um, you know, he's the funny guy. He's getting these wacky situations, and uh, it mm-hmm. it was cool because the way that they conceptualized the series was that it wouldn't be on a set in the same way that tng was but rather it would be just shot straight on a stage and a lot of the um props and stuff would be more mimed or implied again real vaudeville kind of yeah thing. no that's that's daring really right can you imagine trek doing anything like that today i can't no certainly not. i mean you know no one would have the balls to do that today exactly but it's um maybe it'll come back right there's they're reviewing they're reviving a lot of things on netflix right now and if you wanted to get that that right. dwarf up then i think mm-hmm. i think michael and uh and brent would be pretty into it i mean what what yeah, else is and, brent uh, gonna do these days 
<laughs> his uh, his little YouTube series. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, uh, what a what a piece of it. yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, honestly, if if you as as an audience member think that's a good idea, I mean, you know, shoot us a tweet. Yeah, uh, because this is something we can absolutely you know take to the st to the studio and um and say you know people want to see this i mean you know we're involved with with picard season two um as as we discussed a few episodes ago so um we can know, talk we, to we've the got friends people. in high places yeah and don't don't just tweet at us you know tweet at brent tweet at michael tweet mm -hmm. at paramount you know get everybody involved it's right but it, all, all of us at the same time yeah just make one so long tweet on with a bunch of ads in it and you don't even need the content it's more implied um yeah yeah, and if enough of our ensigns do that, if enough are readier, then it'll happen. That's that's it the power will. of the internet. If you just throw mm -hmm. any shitty idea out there and and support it, it'll get right. made. And especially if you're loud enough, if, yeah. if you you know harass people enough, um, eventually people are going to capitulate because they just don't want to hear you anymore. Yeah, but I think in this revival we have to make uh, Wharf Black to really. You know, placate the, the audience these days. It's 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 really getting out of hand, but whatever. That's that's not the point of this. It, 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 this this will be, of course, on our Patreon. On um, this discussion, we can discuss this in our um, political podcast. Yeah, um, the observation deck. Mm -hmm. Yep, yep. Yeah. Um, but they, they, that is Patreon only, so um, right. we're not going to be doing that here, lest we. You know, having a cross pollination, and um, you know, our, our patrons might get angry at us. Yeah, they want to feel like that. You know, their product that they're getting is special, and um, right. I right. understand completely. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, certainly. But the, um, the whole death of the dwarf thing was more a victim of the uh, the writer's strike than anything else, which kind of permeates this entire episode. I feel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lots of. I mean. This episode is basically a product of the writer's strike. So we 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 got the we got the story treatment, and uh, Maurice had to finish it in something like a day, day and a half um, for television. Mm. So uh, basically, everything in this episode was affected in some way, and a lot of it was even ad libbed. Um, Could you tell? <laughs> um, and, you know, a lot of people actually got to have their say. Uh, a lot of people you wouldn't expect hmm. um, got to have their say kind of in, in where, where this episode went. There were a lot of people butting heads. A lot of cooks uh, in the broth. Mm -hmm, a lot of thumbs mm -hmm, in the mm -hmm. pie. Right, right. Um. But before we get to that, because there's you know plenty of drama to to pull from that well, um, let's keep uh, let's keep summarizing the story um, as a, as if our audience hasn't watched the episode. That's a really right. good idea. Um, mm -hmm. It's that idea is thwarted somewhat by this episode's complete lack of a story, but. I'll try my best. <laughs> um, okay, actually, I do have something to say. Okay. Can we discuss how um, how very just untrek like it is to leave people to die on a ship? Yeah, which is what Picard wanted. <laughs> that, that and and Riker wanted. That whole exchange was extremely not was extremely untrek like. So mm -hmm. 
it starts with with Dorf going on to like this ancient uh, satellite, some kind of like vessel, that, but not quite a ship. And they find a bunch of uh, frozen people. And um, oh, I need to jump in here. Yeah, I need to jump in here because not only do we see frozen people, we see a couple skeletons. Oh right? no, not not. And um, not this. You know, all I can do is. It, is say that sometimes you really get to see some some interesting sides to the people you work with in this industry, right? Oh yes. Um, and uh, this is a, a prime example of it. Um, in part owing to the, uh, the 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 chaotic nature of this episode's production to begin with, you know, the writer's strike and all that. Um, here we see Allen's, uh, the, you know, that that being the prop master for anyone who um, has not been following, um, Allen's real skeleton collection. Um, which he just had. He, he 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 just had it. Um, you can look this up for yourself. the 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 final script just calls for a skull, just a skull. Um, but Alan, being the overachiever he was, he, he he brings two full skeletons to the set. You know, wheeled them in on wheelchairs, fully clothed and everything. And uh, you know, he he loads them up in these little canisters and. Um, before every take, he'd he'd get up against the window and he'd just stare into into Betty's. Th- th- that was the sister skeleton, um, Betty's eyes, and tell her, you know, she was going to be a star, and you know, like he was so sorry and all that. Um, it was really touching stuff. Um, really and, slowed down production, though. Well, it certainly did, but um, it, this this was a an inherently slow production. Um, I don't think I've spent such a long time on a set before or since. Which was just no one had any idea what they were doing. It made it like the the troubled production combined with its extreme length was would be bad under normal circumstances. But at the end of the season, when you're you're in the the end of production and you're mm-hmm. about to wrap and you just want to go on vacation, and right. uh, it just keeps going on, and it's mm-hmm. like, dude, mm-hmm. stop talking to your skeletons. We got a shot. Right. right yeah. That um that that whole intro took, I would say, probably two days to film, um to get it the way we wanted it to to be, um. But anyway, I'm sorry. Where were we? We, we were we, we were the, talking. Dorf goes on to the right, and um on how untrack like this is. So right. Dorf goes on there, and they're looking in these uh cryo tanks and they see you know mm-hmm. some people whose tanks got like ruptured or something so they decompose the skeletons and uh finally they find some bodies that are still intact and data just starts yelling for some reason uh this this isn't really important but it was strange to me in communicating <laughs> with with the ship data is like constantly yelling over nothing yeah yeah, I found that disturbing as well. Right, thank you, thank you. It's really vindicating to hear that. Um, mm-hmm. But he's like, okay, we found these bodies, what should we do with them? And Riker's like, I don't care, the captain's gonna be here soon, and you know that he's a petulant child that won't wait for anything, so you gotta get back here ASAP. Um, <laughs> and Data's like, I'm gonna bring the bodies. And Riker's like, I don't give a shit, just get back here. <laughs> yeah, it it felt so out of character, and actually Picard feels out of character this entire episode. Yeah, the uh, the way he interfaces with what these bodies ultimately become is like, 
needlessly yeah. um he treats them like children or or not there's a lot of moral grandstanding which right. is not something that picard tends to do right unless unless he's you know facing the skin uh, of some evil kind of entity that's yeah i mean something that is just inherently evil and completely misunderstands you know like the the the, the value of life Mm. That kind of thing. Um, not not some guy trying to figure out what his stock portfolio looks like. So here's the thing: uh, do th- on when Dorf are on that thing, do they establish that these are dead bodies or that these are just frozen this, people? This was something that I didn't want to bring up, but I guess we have to now. Mm. Um, at some point, someone says, "Data, they were already dead." Um, but I don't think they were all dead. No, because the woman was dead. But I don't think I don't think Clemens at least was dead. I mean, his liver was in bad condition. I think he just froze himself, right? He had himself frozen. What he what Crusher said about him was that he was too afraid to live and too scared to die, which is <laughs> quite the sentence. You can see we were on a writer's strike. But, um, I, I despise, I despise that scene where they're all standing around these dead people's beds and just like morally judging them despite not even, like they haven't talked to them. Um, right. they know nothing about them. Um, they're really jumping to conclusions about the way these people lived, which is, uh, not at all what any of these characters would or should be doing. And it, it's great because they're... They're doing all this 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 judging, and then uh, Picard's like, "All right, I'm leaving. Crusher, bring him back to life. Resuscitate the dead." And she's like, "Will do, Captain." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which is the second appearance of her um, resurrection abilities. Bringing people back. That's 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 right. That's right. Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah. She, I mean, she is really powerful, huh? Mm-hmm. And uh, she's um, the. Um, the the prettiest little doctor you ever did see. Well, she certainly is, Mitch. <laughs> that, that I will have to concede. Um, I I half expected Picard to call the entire bridge to the, uh, the sick bay one by one in that scene. <laughs> <laughs> just a, just a little niggle there. If if um, o- if only um Denise was still on the show, where. Mm-hmm. There, he's like introducing the staff to these three resuscitated bodies, and then he brings in Worf, and they're like, "Oh, hmm, alien, I see." Huh. and then uh, you know, Worf <laughs> leaves, and he brings in Yar, and they're like, "Ah, no!" <laughs> yeah, that's 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 when that's when they really faint. And uh, I guess we do have to bring this up. Just the 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 wacky fainting scene with the the music and oh the music was the worst that was the um, absolute worst it, it felt like i was watching like a like a tim allen turning into a dog movie <laughs> like like a, a dog covering his face with his paw <laughs> <laughs> that's so good i don't know if you know how good that is but that's amazing because <laughs> like the the, um, the 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 instruments played in the score are exactly that tone where it's like yeah. this whimsical, kind of like xylophone esque right. thing. It's, <laughs> it's terrible. It's really bad. Yeah. And then there's just a ton of like stupid fish out of water bullshit. Yeah, 
Now, I will say, and I'm going to think this, and you're not going to. You're going to disagree with this. Okay. I think I think this episode introduces a, uh, an interesting idea, um, that being people from people from a capitalist society being thrust into the evolution of that society, the direct evolution of that society, and not knowing what to do with themselves. That's a good idea, but it's not explored at all. And nor does it um, do anything to inform on the characters that we do know. And then the characters... You, 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 <laughs> you don't think Offerman psychoanalyzing himself for the audience um, explored that theme? No, not, not, not quite. Not quite. Um, and I don't think that there was much of an arc in his character to uh, justify focusing on it like they did. Yeah, certainly not. Um, none of these characters go anywhere, and uh, you're right. Their, their their main purpose, I guess, is to a fill screen time and b be a thorn in Picard's side, which they barely are, and it's really just one of them. And he barely right, and he he kind of overreacts to it, right? And what is the payoff for that? So there's the final scene on the bridge where. Um, Offerman shows up mm -hmm. and he's like, oh, I'm going to use my business acumen to analyze the situation with <laughs> yeah. these Romulans. It was a lot of like yeah. Troy energy where he just says the most obvious yeah. thing. That, that was that was a lot of Troy energy. That's for sure. I mean, there's a lot of Troy energy in this in this uh, in this episode. I mean, the the part where Troy herself sits down and looks at the woman and says, you're, you're feeling sad. Uh, <laughs> You know, if if I were that woman, I would turn to her and say, "No fucking shit, really." I'm sitting here talking about my long dead children, and you're, it's, mm -hmm. you think you got some insight mm -hmm. here? I'm sad. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, I'm. I was concerned about how all of these people, uh, none of these, none of these people reacted correctly to waking up, you know, hundreds of years in the future. Um. At one point, uh, Clemens says something. He wants to watch the the, the Braves game. Yeah. Um, which I, I do have to point out. He says the Atlanta Braves are probably still finding ways to lose, which is uh, a, a hilariously uh, outdated statement. Um, does not does that not reflect current baseball standings? It. Uh, <laughs> It didn't. It didn't reflect baseball standings like three years after this episode. Nice. Um, so well, that's a pretty sports fan thing to say. Yeah, and we know that uh, we know that sports fans don't watch Star Trek. So no. What I do would explain that. What I do love is the slight implication that um, ball sports like baseball are as archaic and ill-fitting of society as capitalism and uh mm -hmm. consumption well not only that but television yeah that was great and you know what that props to whoever the hell wrote that one that's a really salient point oh yeah tv died out <laughs> in the 2040s um it actually is it, it really is i i do have to i do have to give them that but it does raise the question what do these people do for fun yeah, I like the um, the reaction to that question, where 
you know, Rikers just has this bemused look on his face, like, oh, if you only knew. He's sitting next to like a uh, like a three D chessboard or whatever, and it's like, what? <laughs> do, 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 do you just play chess all the time? Chess and jazz? You play, you, you, you play chess and you and you read uh, physical copies of books. <laughs> um, sometimes watching holograms of women dancing. I guess I don't know. <laughs> and then just like having your own masturbatory fantasy in the holodeck, right? Which. To be fair, I guess, is leaps and bounds above TV in terms of, you know, entertainment. So I do have to give them that. But, um. Don't denigrate the boob tube. I. Yeah, I. So, it, it, I mean, be before we really move on, I. I want to bring up a, a related quote from Picard. Um where he says people are no longer obsessed with the accumulation of things, which I think is a, a hilarious line uh, for a Star Trek show. Um, <laughs> given who's watching. Right. You, you know, given, you, given the way the audience participates in, in you, the franchise. You stare at your television surrounded by Funko Pops <laughs> as Picard tells you that the, the mindless accumulation of things was an ill for society. Right, uh, and it's it's hilarious because at its core, Star Trek is um, the message of Star Trek is completely antithetical to to merchandising. Right. So, in order to truly like Trek, you can't own any Trek merchandise. It's a lot like um, Christianity in that sense. It kind of is, isn't it? Yes, and um, you know, if Gene was our space Jesus, our Joseph Smith, then. Uh, Hard to argue with that. We even got the Trek Bible. We did. We did get the Trek Bible. Um, or Bible. Plenty of them too. Yeah. <laughs> um, I I liked uh, I liked the Clemens character. I thought he was goofy I, and he was in the right way. I can't really uh, say I disliked his character. I I dislike conceptually all of like i said this fish out of water stuff but i i, mm -hmm. I guess the clemens character was not bad but um, uh Le leon rippy um yeah. the the actor of course mm -hmm. um, great guy um he would go on to be one of uh one of roland emmerich's favorites for his films um well deserved kind of fucked up and, teeth though yeah but i i thought he brought uh I thought he was like kind of like a fun little wrench in the the usual Trek uh, uh, relationships, I guess. You know, yeah, he, episode certainly an X factor that's not uh, featured on a show all that often. Mm -hmm. Very mm -hmm. unlike anything else. Whereas, um, what was his name? Off Offerman. Off Offerman. Offerman yeah. was Offerman. a personality type that you'll see um, over and over. Exactly. Yeah. Now, um, now here's the thing. Now, let's cut the bullshit here. Yeah, I have a question. When Sonny goes to replicate his guitar, mm -hmm. uh, Data says that, oh, it can be replicated for you. So the replicator had his exact guitar with, like, his logos and signature on it, and, like, the, the glitter and that all that design? Well, maybe he, he described it to Data. <laughs> can you imagine this, the specific instructions that that would need it's like all right it's got my name uh written six inches across and three inches tall uh, on the top left with a purple glittery font and then there's a large 
set of eighth notes on the other side of the guitar oriented at 60 degrees. It's, it's like, come on. Get out yeah, of here. Yeah, but you know, it, it also it also knows how to make a martini, which I found disturbing, considering no one really drinks, right? It's all synthahol. Right. Well, I mean, synthahol and prune juice. Prune juice? A warrior's drink. Oh, right, of course. Of course. Yes. Um, I don't know. I don't think too hard about that, and you know you shouldn't either. I know I shouldn't, um, but I do. You I... know, we were actually... Um, we were actually playing with the idea of giving that character AIDS. Yes. It was a t- um, very topical thing. Yeah, it was a big deal at the time. I mean, you know, for the for the Zoomers watching this, um, who, you know, don't really know, um, AIDS used to be incurable. I mean, like, just un- unrelenting, a, a horrible disease. Um, and the writers wanted to make that point, right? Mm. Um in the future, there'd be no consequence for one man lying with another. Um, but in his rewrites, you know, um, Maurice changed it, of course, and, and he made an interesting point, which was, to paraphrase, um, that if if we'd entirely removed the excitement of bug chasing, uh, we were likely to, to probably fall out of the good graces of a lot of our growing LGBT um, fan base, right? Right. It's um, it's one thing to attack fans of television in your TV show, and it's another thing to attack um, bug chasers inside of Star Trek, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and especially yeah, within well, I mean, the same episode. Like, well, think think about it. You know, if if that's what you love doing, um, and your favorite show tells you that you you know in the future you're no longer going to be able to do it, you know, it's it's kind of just shitting on someone's hobby. So. Um, we ended up going with the 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 the, the equally gener- degenerate disease um, of alcoholism instead, and it ended up working pretty well um, because um, you know he was he was he was a, a rock star, right? He was a country star. Yeah, rock star. He, they said they didn't know a lot about his history, but his job had something to do with music. End quote. And uh, I mean, something to do with music. Given his accent and his outrageous guitar, probably a country star. Probably right, and you know, you know, they they can be gay, they can be alcoholic. Usually, they're both. So, hand in hand. Um, yeah, yeah. But I, I really, I really liked him. He was the only one uh, that I had like a positive association with. Mm-hmm. I was. You, you didn't like. Uh, you didn't like what's her name hysterical woman <laughs> no i did not uh, yeah. none of her scenes really went anywhere in any way at all the the best thing that she did was that you know dog covering its face with its paw fainting to sing more <laughs> i just realized the guy's name is Offenhouse, not offerman right you might be thinking of um rick offerman that actor from uh probably am probably Kim's. am yes but and yeah, he was fine. House. He was neutral, often house. Um, it was just like something about it seemed so trite. His need to, like, that's the first thing you think of. No one would really act like this, right? Oh, I must check on my stocks because my right. money is the only and thing any, that I care about. Any thinking person would be like, hmm, you know, I'm 300 years in the future. Maybe you know, society as I knew it doesn't exist anymore, right? 
there's um because there's got to be a correlation between you know somebody who's done this amount of preparation work mm-hmm. in securing their future and creating a fortune and some amount of intelligence exactly so this kind of reaction can work with someone who's dumb and yeah maybe they have a lot at stake maybe they need to you know still make that call or whatever but they need to be dumb it can't be like what they have at stake as a stock portfolio that's what we see with the woman when she's like oh my god my family where's my family right and it's like they've been dead for yeah but she's she's not being indignant that's the thing if you're gonna have someone being indignant about it they gotta be a little bit stupid that's true so Uh, i wish they had a more severe reaction to this do you ever watch um spongebob squarepants with your kids yeah i mean it's been a long time but yeah so i remember this there's an episode where one character like goes to the future and his Mm. response to that was to like curl up on the ground and just scream the words future future in like a inability to accept anything because it's Uh so wildly different from what he had known and um for for some reason that's what comes to mind when i'm thinking about these characters in star trek and uh, them just getting a brief lecture for five minutes and being like, huh, I guess it is 300 years in the right, future. Right. Well, I guess I guess it is a more realistic reaction. I mean, if, if, if I woke up in the future tomorrow, I'd probably have a little bit of a panic attack. Right. You can't just, you know, go from the Stone Age to the Digital Age, and I'm sure that it's a yeah, but, similarly but large during jump. during the Stone Age. Right. But during the Stone Age... Um... So, while we're on the topic of these, um, these three characters, if you want to call them that, the three amigos, the 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 trace amigos, I want to read you an excerpt from a Wikipedia article because so when when I when I go looking for the question of the week, yes, for you, um, not to be confused is, with the question of the week. Right, I'm sorry. My question of the week for you, um, the, the the trivia question. Let's call it that. Wikipedia is one of my one of my stops, of course. Um, mm. well, and the... I just want to congratulate mm. whomever typed this up, found this out, everything, because it's it's a beautiful paragraph, and I, I want to read it to you. Two of the time-displaced humans returned in Star Trek literature. Oh, no. With Ralph Offenhouse appearing in the Next Generation novel Debtor's Planet as the Federation ambassador to the Ferengi. Mm -hmm. I I was going to say, like, I was going to stop you and ask you to tell me that he's written as, like, some kind of uh, mogul that has gained too much power and is evil. (laughs) Well, he's a Federation ambassador to the Ferengi, apparently, and, um... What a great job for him because he's 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 a capitalist and uh, so are the Ferengi, right? Right. He it's, knows how to communicate with them. It, it's he's a really unique individual as the only capitalist in this uh, society now. So naturally, he must mm-hmm. do any job that right a wouldn't and... would, wouldn't pay very well <laughs> and uh, would also be a military job that has no upwards mobility. <laughs> and uh you know he's a character who appeared in star trek so he needs to have something to do in the uh the extended canon who's the other one um what you said two of them show up in novels he's one well well let me let me continue oh okay i'm sorry 
Uh, Offenhouse. I'm on Offenhouse. Offenhouse appears again in the Star Trek Destiny trilogy as the Secretary of Commerce for the Federation. This is the worst thing I've ever heard. Claire Raymond made a further appearance in the Star Trek Department of Temporal Investigations novel, Watching the Clock as a Counselor for Time-Displaced People. Offenhouse, Raymond, and Sonny Clemens also appeared in the two-part Star Trek The Eugenic Wars by Greg Cox, which was set prior to their appearance in this episode. And how, that's really where I want to hang on, right there. How often are people displaced from time that you need a department for this? Right. That is a great question that I really didn't think about. Uh, she probably doesn't really do anything. It's kind of just like a, a cushy uh, job in name only. It's like, right, all right, all right, you, right. Can, you can't integrate into society. You're too old and dumb. Um, just sit in this office and... Uh, Press the button if you want to pellet. Her her great 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 grandson must be one of the uh, the chosen people. Yeah, to to get her set up like that. Well, it's a matriarchal um, lineage, you see. Right, right. So it all um, works out. I do. But, yeah, I was gonna yeah. say about those um, those actors, not the characters per se, um, mm -hmm. but the actors mm -hmm. themselves. They. Um, it's cool to see how little pockets of um, of bonding form inside of Trek. For example, these three actors, they all appeared only on this episode. At least mm -hmm. you know, them, not their characters. Um, so because of that, they kind of became pretty good friends. And I remember seeing all three of them around the con circuit together. And you would never, ever see one, or one without the other two. Nobody would ever be mm -hmm. left behind. It was always the three of them together, which is great. Um, it was a little sad. Like, eventually they stopped getting booked because, eh, who cares? Um, but, you know, they still tried their best to make it work. I'd often go in, you'd be going into the convention center, wherever it was, and they'd be standing outside, just kind of like handing out their autographs. They're taking photos of people, really trying to get people to, you know, pay attention to them. And I thought... Wow, that's some real dedica dedication to the craft, to Star Trek. And mm -hmm. um, that's an inspiration in a lot of ways. Um, that lasted for quite a long time. It, at least until... Was it Offenhouse's? Yeah, the, the actor mm -hmm. who played Offenhouse, until he died. Then it kind of shattered the, um, the unit that they had developed. Yeah, yeah. Um, that was a sad day. I mean... You remember the funeral. I do. God. Uh, but yeah, it's 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 interesting that uh, not only did the characters continue to appear, but so did the actors in their own special way. Mm. You know. This I am aware of. Um... God, we uh, we kind of blew our load here, didn't we? I came. Um, it's not a good episode. <laughs> I'll stay on that. So the 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 other 
the other aspect of the the story is that um oh we didn't even talk about this holy shit yeah yeah, yeah we didn't you know so, the title of the episode yeah um the romulans are invading the neutral zone um federation bases are being destroyed whatever um is that mentioned before the very end because i i feel like i just missed it but i remember picard coming onto the scene and be like we're going to the neutral zone and Jordy's like, but Captain, that'll take us into the neutral zone. And yeah. Picard's like, I know. And then everybody's like, yeah, oh. I don't, I don't really remember either. Yeah. Um, it's, But you're right. So, yes, that's the thrust of this episode is that there's this political engagement between the Romulans and the, um, and the Federation. Now, if mm-hmm. you're a Keen fan, alarm bells will be going off in your head, right? Because, wait a second, mm-hmm. Romulans... I thought we weren't allowed to talk about Romulans right, as right. per Gene's rules. Right, per Gene's rules. But, um, yeah, uh, the the truth of the matter is that uh, Gene was just so senile at this point, right? Mm. Um, so whenever the writing staff wanted to contradict that, that, that Trek Bible, um, they'd just, you know, bring it up in uh, in Word and you know, go to town on it, print out a new copy, put it on his desk. And, you know, when he referred to it, he, uh, he'd have completely forgotten. Yeah. That's the same way that everybody on staff was able to get a raise. That's right. That's right. Um, a couple times actually. Right. Whenever Gene had to sign off on something, you know, we would just print out a more favorable, favorable version of it. And, you know, Mm -hmm. he he didn't read much Mm -hmm. of anything before the senility, but at that point it was not going to read anything. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the time he thought he was, um, he thought he was on the Enterprise, right? So nothing really had any weight or consequence. Well, I mean, he thought that um, being in space, that gravity was lessened, so the weight of everything was quite affected. That's a fair point. Um, but so there are Romulans in this episode. The the this line bothered me um, that. I can't remember what exactly it was, but so this is paraphrasing, but um, apparently the Federation ha- has had no direct contact with Romulans for however many years. A um, long time. And this bothered me because we're now looking at a single ship who first contacted the Ferengi, has the first Klingon on a Federation ship, and is also the first one to make contact with the Romulans after however many years. And it, it makes the world feel extremely small. Right. Which is weird when it's the entire galaxy. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Even even weirder. Yeah. It's, it's one of those things that's hard to get away from in fiction. Because you want um, your characters to feel special unto the world. I mean, mm-hmm. which in itself could be a misguided thing. But people, writers generally want that. Um, but yes, when you kind of compile all of these things together, it's certainly unrealistic within the context of the show. Of the show. So, I agree. But at least they go out of their way to establish the importance of the Enterprise. Where, when it's something like this, the Enterprise was sent there. Uh, they were the ones chosen to go on this mission. And if yeah. that's the flagship, then it's like, okay, I can I can kind of get it. Um, whereas with something like the Frankie, where it's more of a happenstance, um, 
situation where it could have been anybody, but it just ended up being the Enterprise. The amount of those that add up um, does take you out of it a bit. Yeah, I guess you're right about this particular instance where it was kind of all intentional. Um, but I just feel like this has happened so many times already in just the first season that mm. it's uh, it's kind of getting to me. It is it is um, not a good well to keep going back to. Right. So the Romulan thing doesn't really do much for the story other than mm-hmm. establish a reason that the captain can't spend all his time with the the three stowaways, whatever you want to call them. Right, right. It's it's almost like like uh, the Romulans were the B plot. They they which were is bizarre. Yeah, yeah. And I quite like the Romulans as a race. I like where the TNG ultimately ends up taking them, and I thought mm-hmm. it was pretty cool to see their introduction here. Um, mm-hmm. It's cool that they always feel competent, uh, threatening, and sensible in a lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Much unlike the Ferengi. Exactly. And the they're and they're also very different from the Federation, especially in their diplomacy. Uh, mm-hmm. I think that over this course of the series, the Romulans are written very consistently in how they in, again in their diplomacy, and it's not only different from the Federation, but it's not below the Federation either. Like it makes sense that these are two equally competent um organizations nations whatever right right and so it's not like oh the romulans are brusque and rude and incompetent and they're just going to get outsmarted by our you know sensible captain it's like no they're just they're just threatening and they have everything Mm -hmm. they need to back it up all the intelligence and cunning one would expect it's an interesting point because even with the klingons the klingons are just a little bit goofy Mm. Right, it's almost like they're, you know, Worf is Picard's little pet kind of thing. Well, they call that out. The Romulans do. Uh, um, speaking of which, and the, and this just popped into my head, but um, the Worf says at one point in this episode that um, the Romulans were supposed to have been the Klingons' allies. Yes. And, um, you know, the, the, the keen fan will notice that this is v- very blatantly contradicted um, later on in the series. I'm, I'm racking my brain right now. Well, so, I mean, the Worf said it in reference to when the Romulans attacked, you know, his settlement and his parents got killed. Right. Right. And he was like, oh, they were supposed to have been our allies. Um, but this is uh, heavily contradicted, you know, when you get into the the um, the Worf subplot with, like, you know, his, his father's name being dishonored and stuff like that. True. You don't remember this? I know, I remember this. It was, um, yeah. I don't remember the exact story of his father's dishonor. Um, right, right. I remember how it ended. I don't remember, like, the backstory of it that Worf had to redeem for. But I think the idea there was that Worf didn't know the truth, and then he finds it out, and it's like a big shock, but he still takes responsibility for it. 
and then he finds out that it was like a lie that his father mm. wasn't dishonorable. All right, all right, we we can't spoil it though. <laughs> hold, hold on, I need to work through this. <laughs> cut that! Cut that! No, Warf's father. Wait until we talk about his like large oafish brother. <laughs> um, I I just wanted to point that was just a little curiosity to me. Um, curious. But, huh? Yeah. So the. The Romulan plot really, really does just go nowhere. Um, you know, the the Federation finds out that their bases on the edge, I think, of the neutral zone or whatever, have been completely wiped away, and so the Romulans' um, bases as well. So, you know, they they come to a a brief agreement that they're going to find out who did this, and um, you know, you and I know and. Basically, everyone who's who's been into this series knows that uh, this episode was supposed to be the first of a four-parter. Right. An, uh, an epic, really. Yeah. You know, if not for the writer's strike, of course, which, as we've already discussed, was terrible. And, um, you know, a ton of terrible stuff surrounding that happened as this episode was being produced. Um, because it happened right in the middle of the production. So, right. Um basically what what was to happen was you know maybe not in the first episode but you know two or three this was going to be the the introduction of the borg um not under that name of course and uh they were they were going to have a really different appearance they were going to be kind of insect like right uh mm. they were going to have like the the wings the multiple arms um these humanoid faces with sort of exaggerated slanted um inhuman disgusting eyes yes um uh, and much like the final Borg, they were going to have this kind of collectivist nature, um, inability to think for themselves. Um, but th their, their involvement with the Federation would have been kick-started by um, the Federation's recognition of, of one of their, uh, one of their disenfranchised kind of sub-societies, I guess, um, as its own sovereign planet. It would have been like, you know, the... the 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 whole society had gone through some kind of uprising and you know kind of like a section of the population um moved to a nearby planet right um which which the the proto board kind of thought was was their own and refused to recognize any any claim otherwise um and the big issue was that you know somewhere between the original series and tng these bug people had become like an economic powerhouse Right to the extent that the the Federation even you know relied on them for you know all kinds of stuff, goods, services, that kind of thing. So um, there's a lot of intrigue there that didn't make it into the series, uh, unfortunately. Um, but you can and, see uh, how it had enough material for a four part. Um, yeah, epic yeah, run. Yeah, and you know it was going to be kind of like like a, a first for TV, um, which unfortunately you know didn't happen. I'm I'm happy with the Borg as they are though. That worked out just fine. I I, I, rem I remember the running title that we had for that. It was supposed mm -hmm. to like it, it was supposed to be Year of the Bug, parts one, two, three, and then finale. And yeah, it was the the plans as they were drawn up were certainly um, ambitious. Mm -hmm. Something we never mm -hmm. quite matched. We had two parters later on, but never, never four. But yeah, it would have taken things to an extremely new place and i think it would have garnered the sh the series a lot more respect if you think of 
in recent years we've seen like these hbo specials like john adams or whatever where mm-hmm. it's not a film but it's a long form television with a point and a message and uh this would have been probably the earliest example of that um maybe roots came first but it would have definitely been on par with roots certainly certainly it would have been up there um and you know it's it's a damn shame that this this strike had to happen um I, you know the the only good thing we got out of the strike was seeing jonathan frakes's power level i would say um <laughs> i don't know if you remember his his attitude on on the thing but jonathan frakes in general is very anti-strike and mm-hmm. he's very very well, he's 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 one of those like sweat pledge guys you know exactly um... exactly so when we had picketers on paramount frakes would just take the uh, the director's chair and bring it outside and use it to, to, to you know ram into the picketers to create an opening uh-huh. for our uh replacement workers to get through uh-huh uh-huh <laughs> you know i wonder if that's what really did that chair in it might have because we you know you would drive it into people and of course that would cause some damage to it but the surrounding picketers would like you know attack it they'd like stomp into it hit it with their signs and um Sometimes Frakes was barely able to get away, but I remember always seeing him like scooting off in that chair, just laughing at the people in his wake. Um, he never, he never had any damages or anything from that. He was pretty successful, and you know what? Mm-hmm. Our new writers they got through. We made the show, and it's you in know, no small part to Frakes. Yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, I, I don't think we can really thank him enough. Um, and you know, the the strike was really just pathetic. Make sure, uh, if you're listening to this, and I'm sure you are, to tweet at Jonathan Frakes and thank him for breaking up the writer's strike in the 80s. Yes, yes, absolutely do that. Um, he's, he, I think he remembers that fondly as, as we do. So, um, good times, good times. Excellent times. Any final thoughts oh. on this episode? Well, um... You know, I started this saying that I, I enjoyed the episode, and uh, I kind of spent the entire uh, episode of ours shit-talking it, mm. but I still enjoyed it. I still enjoyed it, and I think it's fun, um, you know, which I guess is a buzzword, but I found it I found it to be an enjoyable watch. Maybe it's not the most entertaining or logically consistent episode. Um, but for again, everything that was going on at the time, I'm surprised by how competently it ended the season. It leaves it on like an open note. The Romulans are back. There might be an alliance. There's a big threat out there, you know. Um, it, it leaves you wanting to know what's going on. Yeah, which it, is good. It does end on a place that generates interest for the next season. Interest that's not capitalized upon. Um, yeah. But that is a good point of it. About everything else, I just did not like, and I did not mm. come to like it more over our discussion of the episode. Um, I thought the three characters that they brought in were extremely vestigial to just about anything meaningful. I did not enjoy the smaller moments and uh, the the impact of the Romulan thing onto this episode was very minimal. Um, it mm-hmm. only mm-hmm. serves to set up for the future. So I didn't like it. 
But I will. There's yeah. one point I want to bring up. There's a line of dialogue where somebody's talking to the three people who, uh, you know, who they bring back, and um, I think it's the woman who says something to the effect of, "I died. I don't remember anything about that." <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Which is, I think, stands stands for itself there. Yeah, you really don't need to explain that. That is hilarious. Um, God. Very messy episode, but, you know, what are you going to do? It's, uh, we made it through season one. We did. We did. Uh, I'm, I'm really proud of us. Um, do you want to offer any words on season one as a, in retrospect? Yeah. Um, you know, it was, uh, it was a tough time filming these episodes uh but it was probably some of the most fun i have ever had in in the industry i like that um i like I that i think it's got uh you know as an audience member mm. it has a lot of weaknesses um certainly there's probably you know um four-fifths of the episodes i hope i never have to watch again but um when it shined i think it did a good job i buy that i yeah i have fond uh memories of its production and i have a fond impression of when i think about it overall as an, as watching it um the lows are incredibly low <laughs> extremely low but mm -hmm. It does have sincerely good episodes, and it does have legitimately um, legitimate high points to it, um, where there are moments, episodes, that if you put them in other seasons, they wouldn't feel out of place. They uh, exist as just good television. Mm -hmm. And based on what I've seen here, just when I'm thinking about it solely as an audience member, I can get why this was picked up for another season. And um, if your first season can do that, can secure a second one then it's hard to call it anything but a success right right and uh yeah because you know that that uh doesn't frequently happen does it no it does not In especially for something as as hard as track yeah now the only thing that i'm left thinking about is what would have been better with the first season of tng or the first season of dwarf and uh it's hard to say Ooh. Well, you know, Dorf was experimental. It was. It was experimental. That could have changed TV as we know it. Um, whereas TNG kind of um, kind of just spawned a bunch of sweaty conventions. Exactly. So, um, you know, take that as you would like to. But look forward to season two. Um, the advent of the quad quarter. As it's known. Yes, yes. Um, we we didn't we didn't do a ranking of the people walking into other people's rooms um, that we said we would do. That's okay. They're all the best. Um, but I I will say the I don't think anything ever beat the what was it Jordy and Data scene very early on with, with, the, with razor. The, the fake razor. <laughs> mm -hmm. It was it was it was always either that or the the naked now one where Will just happens to be working on um, the device that's going to save the day. 
Also amazing. And, and Jordy walks in. It was another Jordy-centric room. Well, once they confined scene. Jordy to the bridge and his ability to walk into other rooms was stifled, um, there was a marked decline in yeah. the the average number of people walking to other people's room instance, instances mm-hmm. per episode. And and that is canon, too, if you look it up on Memory Alpha. Um, right. Jordy became incapable of walking into a room. He was kind of like a vampire. He got bitten by, like, a, a, a vampiric creature, um, you know, between episodes. And it, it was something that was only covered in, I think, a comic book. But they stuck uh, to it. They stuck to the, uh, to mm-hmm. the lore on that one. And unless he was invited in, he couldn't enter any rooms. Um, right, right. And accordingly, the walking into rooms index, the WIR index, uh, shrunk. And you can see that on Memory Alpha. Just look up WIR index. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Which, you know, is a shame. But there you go. I think that would have always won. So we didn't really need to do a ranking anyway. Then let's bid adieu to season one. And uh, I, if I had ever watched the intro to the show, I would quote it insofar as going into season two where uh, no individual has ventured earlier where no where no non-binary um zer folk has ever been before yes folk (laughs) yeah where no non-binary folk has ever been before you got a question for me my man i don't actually i um I got so excited about the the uh, off and house being being in a novel that I forgot to get you one. All right. Well, I have a question for you. Um, which one of these characters, and it's a multiple choice question, have I not mm. masturbated to? So we got A, Q, mm-hmm. B, the other Q, C, G- um, not Gates. Crusher, Dr. Crusher, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and uh, D, Worf. Okay. Um, well, Q is obviously very sexy. I mean, right. it's John Delancey. Right. Um, you know, we, we see this on Twitter often, too. And, you know, it's, it's something that we can't help but agree with. And that's that John Delancey is uh, just a very sexual human being. A lot of raw energy. Yeah, raw masculine energy. Um, and it's always been that way, and it always will be that way. You know, when he stepped on set for the pilot, um, you know, I think I speak for both of us when I say it moved a little bit. Mm, mm, mm. So, they moved a little um, bit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I would say he's out. Um now the other Q. Do you know the other Q? No. You don't know the other Q. Okay. Wow. 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 I'm revoking. Wait, what, what other Q are we talking about? There's like, another. There's the, another the, the Q. One that, the one that shows up later. Yeah. There's a second oh, Q. Okay. Yeah. 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 Okay. All right. The other Q. Okay. I thought we were just doing season one. No. Um. Okay. The other Q is also attractive. So. Um, I'm going to go with Crusher. Wow, that's correct. Um, Crusher is the only woman on this list, so a bit of a gimme there. Mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah, well, you know what? I I approached it seriously, so 
I, I won't I won't hear it. Well, unlike me, your powers of deduction um, carried you home, and they mm-hmm. didn't lead you astray into making an asinine wrong decision. It's true. Well, that'll do it for this week. That'll do it for this season. Join us yeah. next time where we tackle season two. And until then, everybody, for the last time this season, please stay ready. The troublesome little man child. Consider that in the history of many worlds, there have always been disposable creatures.